0: Dear friends, Jesus used questions to lead and to stir our minds on important issues, ideas we'd likely avoid otherwise. Who is your enemy? Why? How do you treat them? In his teaching in our study passage, Jesus described a low and undeserving conduct, followed by his question of the hour, what reward have ye? Regarding your enemy with kindness, his model, and requirement of us in this lesson, does cause a reward to you. Treating your enemy with the human norm, spite, and contempt, or conscious disregard, holds no reward of blessing for us. This lesson most often rises to our attention when we have problems with other believers, and Jesus' teaching beautifully leads us through the God-honoring path in our dealing with them. In recent weeks, I've seen far more political explosions on Facebook, and nothing else to speak of, on television news than one side or the other of the angry, shouting venom aimed toward the leading personalities in each political party. People who sincerely profess faith in Jesus often shout just as loudly and as angrily as anyone else. How might our rhetoric change if we spent a half hour each morning before we touch our fingers to the keyboard for the day, and strive to practice Jesus' lesson in every conversation of the day, including those internet media posts? When I joined Facebook, with admitted reluctance because I'd heard about far too much angry and ungodly word fights and political wrangling, I intentionally set up my personal page under the caption Little Zion Pastor's Corner hoping the very title itself would discourage these posts on my page. For the most part, it has worked well. One case failed. A minister, a man I know and care for, posted hate-filled political posts almost daily, but he never not even once posted anything about Jesus or his gospel. I wrote to him privately, trying to encourage him to change his mental focus and his themes for Facebook posts he replied, but showed no interest in changing. Apparently he enjoyed the political war, to a peaceful teaching about Jesus and the gospel. With that response, I quietly unfriended him so his posts would no longer appear on my page. Otherwise, the people who post on this page usually stay focused on spiritual and edifying themes. So my Facebook experience has affirmed my reluctance but it has also reconnected me to many old friends, and new, who long to focus their minds and conversation on things that edify. During the next couple months, our nation's culture will be ripped to shreds by outspoken members of both political parties, people who have forgotten, or never cared to learn Jesus' teaching in our study lesson. For them, the day's normal is to accuse, and to shout angry words at anyone who dares to be so callous in their minds as to support that other party and candidate. And few times in the coming year will give sincere believers a better occasion to stand apart from the carnal anger of our culture and shine the light of Jesus in their words and attitudes, words that encourage their hearers or readers to, see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven lets you and me strive to faithfully speak and act so as to be seen and numbered with Jesus and not with the angry crowd. Love in Jesus Joe Holder Reward or no reward Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 43-48 KJV 1900 Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount to the disciples. Matthew 5, 1-2 His focus beginning to end, was on how His followers should live so as to influence others to, see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16b He consistently set a higher standard than the conduct typically expected in human culture. We do not encourage other people to glorify our God by living like the people around us. Many people want to show off their good works so others will notice them and sing their praises, not glorify their God. How we love recognition for doing good. I had an uncle who was a pastor for over 50 years. He was well known and highly respected. Once he preached what was considered a powerful sermon at a special meeting in West Tennessee. After the service ended, a very sincere man approached him, Elder Holder, I've been a primitive Baptist for over 50 years, and the sermon you preached this morning was quite likely the most powerful sermon I ever heard. Not a fan of personal praise, My uncle quietly looked over his glasses with his piercing eagle eye look, and replied, Brother, the old devil often tells me the same thing. And with that, he turned and walked away. A man who witnessed this conversation told me about it. All too many preachers would flourish at such a compliment. Our goal as followers of Jesus is never to gain praise or thanks for what we do, but to gain worthy praise to our God. This objective requires a unique conduct and attitude. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. This line reflects far too much of our present culture. Loving your friends and openly hating anyone not your friend, anyone who belongs to that other political party, anyone who views any significant situation differently from you, has become the encouraged and expected norm of our sad crumbling culture, and a leading reason for the crumbling we see. The love your neighbor hate your enemy attitude was practiced in the first century by religious Jewish people. They thought they had rationalized that this attitude was right and proper, even taught by Moses. In fact, that Jesus gave the problem so much attention in this sermon to the disciples would indicate that it was a common and accepted attitude, but not one that he would approve for his disciples or for us. At no time in my lifetime is the healing, calming lifestyle of Jesus which he exemplified and taught us to practice in the Sermon on the Mount more needed than in our day. Sadly, Too many sincere believers have decided to join the eroding culture with their own shouts of angry words against them. We need to linger with, and practice 1 Corinthians 14 colon 26b, Paul wrote, let all things be done unto edifying. How would your, and my, words change today, if we spoke, including what your fingers speak through your keyboard, nothing, nothing whatever that failed this edifying test. Does what I'm considering saying or writing edify? No. Then I'll simply not say or write it? Now expand this transformation from you and me to every person in our country who professes faith in Jesus. How would this change of conduct impact the next month or two? The next year? How refreshing the thought. Why not start with just you and me? Today. But I say unto you. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. The Greek word translated love in this lesson primarily refers to love in action. It defines how we treat our enemies far more than how we feel about them. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. No, Jesus did not teach that we must practice this conduct to be born again. Children tend to imitate their parents, and this thought is Jesus's point. If we hope to imitate Jesus, to do life as he did it, this practice is essential. His example for us points the way. Jesus didn't explain loving our enemies and doing good to them that hate us by telling us that he affectionately strives to be their best friend. Rather, he teaches us that God sends sunshine and rain on both the just and the unjust. In this, God shows acts of kindness to those who are his own enemies. We need not strive to become best friends with those who are our enemies, but, when we do interact with them, we can be soft-spoken and kind rather than hateful. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Jesus leaves no question whatever. He teaches, and expects his followers to live their lives, especially their interaction with other people, by a far higher standard than other people practice. His example is telling. Do not even the publicans the same. Publicans were Jewish people who worked for the Romans as tax collectors. They were about as popular as an IRS auditor would be in our culture. By using publicans for the bar as a description of conduct that many professing Christians of our day think quite acceptable, jesus sends a powerful message to the disciples to us being nice to your friends and hateful to anyone else is not a commendable or even acceptable behavior according to jesus it is so below the honorable and right behavior as to be an insult even the despised and lowly tax collectors practice this conduct if self-focused and unprincipled sinners Mild adjectives compared to first-century Jewish attitudes toward publicans, tax collectors, practice a certain pattern of conduct, surely people who profess to follow Jesus should set a higher goal for their personal habits. In this context, Jesus raised the question of the hour. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? In this question, Jesus in no way belittled or rejected the idea of a real reward. He rather affirmed the idea. A personal experience will illustrate much of this lesson's teaching. In the distant past, I was inadvertently involved in an emotional church dispute. I was not an active participant in the divisive issue, but I was present and therefore perceived by one side of the issue to be sympathetic toward that other side. One day after a rather rancorous session, a dear lady, One of those who thought I was too sympathetic to the other group, approached me, angry beyond words, and she read my pedigree. I had been especially close to her, so her words hurt deeply. After a brief cool-down time, I should have gone to her and talked with her about the issue. My fault that I didn't follow that biblical teaching. From that day, I consciously avoided that church. Eventually, Around two years later, the issue was resolved when cooler heads and spiritual conviction prevailed. Having avoided that church and the people there, including the lady who scolded me with her angry words, I was not involved directly in the healing, though obviously I needed to be. Shortly after this healing, I attended a special church meeting. When I arrived on Friday morning, I noticed that several members of this church were present, this woman included literally that whole angry episode flashed through my mind and i almost broke out in a cold sweat i intensely dislike confrontation for two long years i had frozen this dear woman in my mind as she appeared in that angry conversation mostly a one-way conversation with her doing all the talking looking back i realized that during that long two years I lived with an unforgiving attitude toward her. I also realized that every effort I made during that time to pray was hindered and shaded by my quiet hurt toward her. Of all the challenges, I had barely arrived when the pastor approached me and told me I was to preach at the morning service, in less than an hour. Yes, I struggled. Preaching for me that day was work, but I did my best to teach a Bible lesson and the Lord blessed far more than I deserved. Our fellowship's tradition includes a congregational handshake at the end of a service. As I pondered the handshake, more fear clouded my mood. For the first time in over two years, this woman and I would stand face to face. Would she still be angry, shouting and pointing her finger in my face? How lowly I estimated my Lord! When she approached me in the handshake, she paused momentarily, and then she burst into tears, and hugged me. Immediately my two years of quiet anger toward her dissolved, and our joyful fellowship in Jesus was restored. How often do we choose to ignore Jesus' example and teaching in life's real moments, bringing too much grief and conviction into our lives when immediate healing could occur by following the Lord's way she was a member of the older generation from me. But years later, and many good fellowship times in the meantime, when she passed into glory, we remained dear friends. While the Lord was working conviction in my own heart, I gave Him no credit for working in her as well. This experience likely more touches a tender nerve than we comfortably wish. Within your personal circle of acquaintances, whom do you regard as your enemy? Often we regard a brother or sister in Jesus with whom we have had an unpleasant experience to be our enemy. And Jesus' teaching in this lesson shows us precisely how to deal with those occasions and people. Following Jesus' teaching in this lesson would work well in a business setting, but it is the ideal conduct and attitude for church tensions. Our present culture is torn by so many issues. We cannot deal with them all let's apply jesus's teaching to just one of them one that will dominate our nation for the next two months at least given jesus's teaching in this lesson how will you respond to or interact with a friend who favors the opposite political party to the party that you prefer angry words and accusations or words of grace and kindness people can disagree agreeably and with kindness But our culture, sadly including many believers in Jesus, seem to have forgotten that glorious art of attitude and words. How can we relearn it quickly? Elder Joe Holder